Welcome to Murder They Spoke. I'm Ellen. And I'm Chandler. And Miranda is not here tonight. Nope. She, an egg, a human exited her body today. <laughs> and she's dealing with that. Yep. All that fun stuff. Life has changed. Yes. As of 3.30 today. Woohoo! And it will never be the same. <laughs> and you will never sleep again. <laughs> Sorry. Is that your door squeaking or was it a kid? It's the door. Oh, man. That was, like, frightening. Yeah, it's so creepy because, like, I'll leave the door almost closed. And so in the middle of the night, if Asher comes in, but it squeaks when he, and sometimes he doesn't open it like all the way. So it's like, and then he just like slowly inches his way in. And I'm like, Asher, what do you need? <laughs> Freaks me out. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. But at least the squeaking warns me before I wake up and he's just staring at me. Yeah. And I'm like, I hate that. Ah. <laughs> me I hate too. that. It's so scary. I don't like it. There was something I was going to tell you. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. There was true okay. crime news. If you remember, that, we can... Hold on. Let me see. There was true crime news that... Maybe I screenshot it. Hey, have you ever heard of the book, um, A Stranger She Loved, A Mormon Dog, Beautiful Wife, and an Almost Perfect Murder? No. Oh, I haven't either, but my friend sent it to me last night, and I was like, uh, I need to read that. What's it about? I'm sure you just told me what it's about. Well, I don't really know. I wonder if it was about that girl that... Oh, a doctor. I think he... Yeah, I've heard of this. I've heard of this. He, He was like... They were super rich and like she had just had a facelift and everything and... They, she, they found her dead in her bathtub, like, right after her surgery. Apparently, she had drowned, but he absolutely killed her. Ugh. Yeah, I just read the part where it said that he found her dead. Like, yeah, he found her, but he absolutely killed her. And also, I'm pretty sure this lady... Yeah, the lady who wrote that book, they she was just found drowned in her swimming pool. Are you kidding me? Like like today or yesterday or something like that. Oh my yeah. god. Apparently, apparently she was swimming with her son, her little 18-month-old baby, mm-hmm. and he had a life jacket on, and she slipped and hit her head and got knocked out and she drowned. And her husband got home from work. And comes out, sees the kid walk around in his life jacket because she put a life jacket on him before she got in the pool with him. And the mom was floating in the pool dead and he'd been out there all day. Oh my gosh. Good thing she put a life vest on him. I know. I know. Ugh. That's so weird that you said that book because I was just, that was the true crime news I was going to tell you was she's a true crime author and they found her dead. Okay. That's crazy. So weird. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah. I'm ready to hear about your case. I'm dying to know what it's about. Well, let's get started because it's, it might take a bit. Okay. But um, this is a case that I had heard about before. I've heard about it a few times. And, like, it was really disturbing to me. And, I know, it just felt like something that people need to be reminded of. Because it happened, like, 22 years ago. 
and it's important. It's just an important thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but we'll see. Probably not. We'll Probably see. Not. <laughs> let's who, see who we're talking to here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get started. So um, on December 1st, 1976, Judy and Dennis Shepard welcomed their son, Matthew, into the world in Casper, Wyoming. He was this cute little blonde baby. He had these bright blue eyes. He was super smiley. He was adorable and sweet. And um, four years later, his little brother, Logan, was born, and they were total opposites. Logan was tall and athletic, and Matthew was like, his friends and family called him Matt, so we'll just call him Matt. Matt was my our height. He was five foot three, very small, very thin. Um, he was super outgoing and friendly, and his brother was a lot more reserved. And um, he did Matt really didn't play sports, but his brother was very big into sports. They had this really close knit family. Um, they did a lot of stuff together. They took trips together. They were very loving and happy. It was just a happy family. And his dad played softball. And this one time his dad took him to his, his dad's softball game. So Dennis took Matt to a softball game and he was supposed to play, but he ended up not even playing in this game because he and Matt found this big green caterpillar that Matt was just enthralled with. And um, they ended up just playing with this caterpillar the whole time. And his dad was just like, yeah, I mean, he, he was really interested in this caterpillar and we, we just played with that. I didn't even play the game. It's like, I don't know many dads that would be like, I'm not going to play. I'll just play with my kid in this bug. Right. You know, that's just like so sweet. So Matt and Logan had this really great childhood. Their parents loved them. They loved each other. They all hung out. It was just like, you could just tell that they were just happy people. And Matt, especially, like I said, he was really outgoing and he would write letters to letters and poems to all of his neighbors on their street and like leave them in their mailboxes. And he was so like, you know, cute. I mean, he was like this little boy and his grandpa, his mom's dad was a postmaster. And he was like, Hey Matt, you know, you can't really leave stuff in people's mailboxes without putting a stamp on it. It's kind of illegal. So Matt's like, Oh, okay, sorry. And so he ended up, he would go around you know, his house or his neighborhood or whatever. And he would find like rocks that he thought were beautiful. And he would leave a rock in these people's mailboxes. And all these people just knew that that was Matt showing them that he cared about them and he loved them was finding these rocks in their mailbox. Okay. How old was he at this point? He was like six or seven. He was just like this little boy, (laughs) you know, like he, he could write and he could spell and everything. And, but he was just like little and it was just so cute. That is cute. I know. Isn't that the most adorable thing? (laughs) So when he was eight, his mom started to wonder, you know, maybe if Matt was gay because his favorite Halloween costume was his Dolly Parton costume. And he went as Dolly Parton many times for (laughs) Halloween. And he even wore the costume when it wasn't Halloween. He would wear it just all the time. And she was kind of like, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of cute, like Dolly Parton. I I just love that. And she said, I think that people who love their family and friends know that they're gay. I really think they know. Which to me meant she didn't have to ask him. And obviously, at eight years old, you're not going to ask your kid, are you gay? Right. But she kind of knew from that point that he Mm -hmm. was, you know. 
and it wasn't an issue for her. And she was just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. Um, she never asked him about it, but she just, you know, let him grow up, let him have this happy childhood, let him, you know, have all these opportunities. And um, his childhood friend said that he was this, he was the leader of their little kid gang, you know, not gang really, but, you know, their little group, their little friend group. They had campouts and sleepovers and they played outside and they rode bikes and they did all the stuff that we did as kids. Well, you probably didn't <laughs> play outside, but, you know. Hey, I played outside-ish. <laughs> you know it was like all that fun stuff all those fun kid things you know all that great stuff and his friend tim said i knew he wasn't going to be confined to casper wyoming he was bigger than that he had more dreams than staying in town which is like wow i mean they were little little kids and he already knew that mm-hmm. about his friend and you know people said that he was like part politician part actor part businessman you know he was just very driven and determined even from a young age uh, when he was in high school he had this school counselor and his name was Walt Bolden and he was actually the first person that Matt came out to because Matt was gay and you know Matt was really worried about it he was really stressed that he was just stressed about it and um, Walt asked him, well, what would it mean if you did find out that you were gay? Like, what would that mean to you? And Matt was just, he just started crying. And he was like, my family would reject me. That was his greatest fear was that his family was just going to be like, no. Mm. And so Walt, his guidance counselor, Walt was also gay. And he related to the feelings that Matt was having. And they had this really close bond, like, a really good friendship. It was nothing weird. They were just really close. So in 1993, Matt's dad, Dennis, got a new job in Saudi Arabia, and the whole family moved there, which meant Matt had to leave all the friends that he become comfortable with to start over. And I did that every three to four years of my life, and that crop's hard. It's hard to do. And eventually, I personally just kind of quit caring about people because I was so used to leaving everybody behind anyway. But being, I can't imagine what it would be like living in the same place for so long and then having to leave everybody I knew and everybody I grew up with. I just can't even imagine that. That'd be really hard. Especially when you just came out to this guidance counselor. Yeah. And he hadn't come out to anybody yet except for his counselor. So nobody else knew. I mean, his mom knew, but like he hadn't told her. Was this high school? I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. He was, it was like, his junior year he's going to start his junior year of high school so his dad ended up taking the job because uh he and judy his mom wanted their sons to have like this big knowledge of the world and to have gone places other than wyoming like they wanted them to see things and to be to experience all these cultures and to be these kids that were not just confined to one place you know which I totally get. I think that's great. And so they moved to Saudi Arabia and there were no American schools there. Matt had ended up having to go to a boarding school once he got there because they didn't have any high schools for him. And they had chose one that was in Switzerland, which I was like, that would be so freaking awesome. Yeah, that would be so cool. <laughs> I would love to have gone to school in Switzerland. Like, yeah. what the heck? And so the school was full of like diplomats, children and rich people and all this stuff. And Matt really kind of didn't feel like he belonged because his dad 
just happened to get a job with the oil industry. So they weren't like rich or anything. They were very, you know, pretty much middle class at that point. And he was just like, I don't belong with these people. But he ended up making such good friends there that he he told his mom that they were the best people he would ever know. Which oh, is good. awesome. That makes yeah. my heart. <laughs> I feel like I, I know. know this family. <laughs> I know. I just oh. love them. He was so kind and so friendly. Like all these people that were talking about him were just like, he was just friends with everybody. He was kind to everyone. He wanted to talk to everyone. He wanted to be around everybody. He was happy. And that just makes my heart twinged a little. As a parent, I can't imagine worrying about my child in that way. You know, I mean, when Max started school, I was super worried about her and like making friends and everything. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, that would be really hard. His friend Nikki actually said, He was the guy that could be in any group. He made everyone feel comfortable and special, and that was the thing about Matt. He always looked into your eyes. Every person had a special thing about them, and he'd find it and bring it out in them. I want to be around Matt. Like, I I want Matt to be my friend. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's rare when you meet people like that, and when you do, it's special. Yeah, just such a genuine person that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. Does he die, Ellen? Listen to this story. Sorry. <laughs> Matt loved to be in school plays, and he also told his friends, I'm going to be famous someday. I'm going to be famous. You're going to know. Everybody's going to know who I am. And they were like, we believe it. We believe it. And his friends and family say that he was just adventurous and fearless, and he wanted to travel the world and make a difference in the world. He wanted to help people. And his school would organize these trips for students to be able to travel and learn about the world, which, awesome. Yeah. So usually they would go to places in Europe. And this time, he and four, three or four other kids were like, we don't want to go to Europe. We want to go to Africa. Let's go to Africa. They wanted to go to Morocco. And the school was like, eh, I don't know about that. But they finally convinced the school to let them go to Morocco. And they were so excited because they were like the first ones to be able to go outside of Europe. And they were like, this is going to be awesome. Um, there was obviously a safety concern because it was Morocco. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was not very, not like super safe. You know, if they were telling me, hey, we're either going to go to Germany or we're going to go to Morocco, I'd be like, go to Germany. You know, that's safer. Like, Morocco just sounds scary to me. They were still allowed to go, even though school was really concerned about it. And the students said that when they got there, they were like, okay, this is kind of scary. But they were being really careful. They would stay in a group. They wouldn't go anywhere alone. You know, they were were using their brains about it. So... Mm -hmm. While they're in Morocco, it's two o'clock in the morning on this particular day, and the girls in the group had a knock on their hotel room door, and they heard somebody say, hey, it's Matt, let me in. And they were like, what the heck? And so they didn't think twice about letting Matt in because Matt's the kindest person they've ever known. And before they could even open the door, they hear Matt just start screaming, just this horrible, gut-wrenching scream, and they're like, what the heck? So they open the door. And they see Matt, he's got on no shirt, no shoes, and he's just screaming in the hallway. 
and they're like, what is going on? And one of the friends grabs him and she's like, just puts her arms around him and she's like, what's wrong? And they just fall to the floor and she's just holding him on the floor and he's just screaming and screaming and screaming. And they finally get him into the room and they're like, what is going on? And he tells them that he went out for a walk by himself because he wanted to, you know, just go for some fresh air and it's, he's in this country and it's beautiful and whatever. He goes out for a walk and when he's heading back to the hotel room, he gets pulled into this alley and there are six men in the alley. They rob him and then all six of them raped him. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, that just breaks my freaking heart. And his friend Kate was the one who had grabbed him and was just holding on to him. She said that she... In, in an interview she was doing, she said she felt so much guilt over going to Morocco and she wonders, you know, what is life have been totally different if we had just not even, if we just dropped the topic of Morocco, we pushed so hard to go there. We should have just let it go, you know? And she feels so much guilt about that. And um, obviously it's not her fault. It's not any of their faults. It's people who did that, but it's just, gosh, you know, that's freaking horrible. Yeah, we can't ever help but think what if when situations happen like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that was the concern of the school. I mean, obviously, that can happen anywhere. But honestly, like, right. it's just not, to me, it's not very surprising that it would happen there. over England or Germany or whatever, you know, anything like that. So after Morocco, what happened there, he just wasn't the same person. He quit theater, which is something he loved. He felt uncomfortable in crowds. He started hunching over and he quit looking people in the eye. He just kind of took on this persona of a scared person, like a, like a victim really, which is so sad. It was like Mm. a light just went out in his eyes and you can totally tell in pictures before and then after he inside, he just felt so much anguish over this, which I can't even imagine oh I know yeah while he was in boarding school he never even came out to any of his friends even though they were really close like he never told any of them that he was gay there was a rumor that he was and the he hung out with mostly girls really but you know all of them had said you know it wouldn't have changed anything and they were just kind of sad that he didn't feel like he could tell them because they were like you know it wouldn't have changed how he felt about him I just wish he'd felt comfortable enough to let me know because maybe we could have helped him. He moved to North Carolina for college. And when he was a freshman, he told his mom, finally, he told his mom that he was gay. And his mom said, well, what took you so long to tell me? Like, duh. And he's like, well, how did you know before I knew? And she's like, it's a mom thing. I just knew. And so that wasn't an issue. And he's like, okay, well, don't tell dad because I want to tell dad myself. I want to be the one to tell him. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I won't tell him. But she, after she got off the phone with him, she went straight to her husband and she told him, look, you know, here is, this is what he just told me. And she said that she didn't do it to break Matt's trust. She did it because she wanted, she didn't want her husband to be kind of blindsided by it. Cause she didn't want him to respond or say something right away that would have, would have hurt Matt's feelings that he wouldn't be able to take back. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense to me. Yeah. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. As a reaction, she didn't want him to, just be like, oh my gosh, or whatever, you know, to react yeah. badly and then not be able to take that back. 
so Matt gets to the house. Next time he sees his dad, he says, dad, I need to talk to you. I've got something important that I want to tell you. And his dad's like, okay. And so they go into the other room. He's like, okay, dad, you know, he tell he tells him I'm gay. And his dad's like, okay, well, what's the important thing you wanted to tell me? It was just really sweet to me. Like that was like, <laughs> it's like, that doesn't even matter. So let's get this over with. What's this thing you have to tell me? It just seems like such a great dad to me. They didn't make it an issue. Everything that Matt was scared of, you know, my family's going to reject me if I tell them this. It wasn't that at all. His parents were like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like, it doesn't change anything. And what a relief to him. Poor guy. Yeah. His dad was like, the cha- he was still my son. That changed nothing for me. Mm-hmm. How does that affect me at all? It doesn't, which I think is awesome. So he wrote, had written a letter to his friend, Nikki, and this made me cry. <laughs> so if I start crying, don't make fun of me. He wrote to his friend, Nikki, and he said, I'm gay and have been. I'm sorry I couldn't tell you before. I wanted you to know, but I loved you so much I couldn't tell you. If I weren't, I would have wanted to spend the rest of my life with you. Oh, this was to his friend. You said Nikki was her? Yeah, he's like the most adorable, and I love him. That is so sweet. (laughs) So while he's at Catawba College, that's where he went, Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina, Matt was trying... Matt, like, decided, okay, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to live my truth. I'm going to just try to embrace it. Because he was actually really, really struggling with the fact that he was gay. And he was still healing from what had happened to him in Morocco, even. So he had a really hard time there. He wasn't really feeling like he loved it. So he ended up deciding, he ended up moving back west. He actually moved to Denver. And a lot, while he was in Denver, he was still really depressed a lot of the time. His friends would come to his house to check on him. And a lot of the time, his apartment, his apartment was just like this disaster. He, they mm-hmm. said there was like rotting food on the counter. Sometimes he didn't even have food in his house. And he was just on the couch, just like not there, which is so sad. This kid needed help. He needed some professional help. And I don't think, I don't think he was getting it. And there was this one point where his radiator was leaking in his house and he, instead of just like cleaning it or anything, he just put, piled all of his clothes on it on top of, of the water puddle to just soak up the clothes. It was just like, he just couldn't, he just couldn't deal. Oh. So he just felt really alone in Denver and he was still struggling with being gay, which I get like, I mean, I don't get it obviously, but I feel like Denver would have been. Mm-mm. an easy place to just live your life that way you know because Denver is very progressive but maybe back then in 97 or 98 it wasn't I'm not really sure I was a child then so like I said he was struggling and so there was a street this street this church across the street from where he lived and he went there one day because he just felt like he just needed to talk to somebody he needed to feel comfort in some way because his parents were still in Saudi Arabia. And he was just in this really dark place. And he, he ends up going in there to talk to somebody. And while he was there, this woman told him, you're going to hell. She told him he was going oh to hell gosh. for being gay. And he was evil and blah, 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 blah. And he just, that just like, farther into just the way he was feeling. Because 
his sexuality wasn't even something he had fully accepted about himself. And there's this complete stranger condemning him and she didn't even know him. And so he just was just not in a good place. And Walt, the guidance, guidance counselor knew how much Matt was struggling. And he was like, you know, I really, maybe you should move back home. Maybe you should move back to Wyoming. So then Matt ends up moving back to Laramie, Wyoming. Well, he was from Casper. So he moved to Laramie because that's where the university of Wyoming was. And Walt actually lived in Laramie. So he's like, you know, I'm here. I can be here to support you and help you. Like you're not going to be by yourself. So Matt's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's probably going to be a good idea. And his parents were like, yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds great. Cause they just, I don't think they wanted him to be alone because they knew he was struggling so much. And I'm sure they were so worried about him just for so many reasons. It's like, Oh, can't. So Wyoming, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, pretty big state it's got a population of 500,000 people and it's super conservative super traditional and it's just like this big open wide place it's super isolated and it's not very diverse yeah so being back in Laramie and going to school at University of Wyoming Matt actually jumped into school activities easily he was starting to be happier and he even told Walt that he finally felt safe there. You know, he was in the LGBTQ groups at school. He was going to meetings and stuff. He had friends. He was, he was happy there. And his parents were finally like, okay, I think, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to be fine. And he was just like finally being able to embrace himself and love himself for who he was. Okay, pause. Did his parents know what happened to him in Morocco? Yes, they knew. Okay. I mean, they had they had to be told it was a school trip, you know. Oh, uh, okay, okay. He was still in That's high right. school. Yeah, I forgot. Okay. So, yeah. So, October 1998, it was really cold. I have never been to Wyoming, but I lived in Kansas, and I feel like Kansas was a lot. It's very prairie, very flat. It was very cold in October there, so... I can imagine how cold it was in Wyoming. Matt had been at a meeting that night for the campus LGBTQ group that he went to. And he was like, hey, I want to go have a drink afterwards, like trying to get everybody to go with him. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to go. So he's like, all right, whatever. He was like, I don't really want to go back to my apartment and study. I'm going to go have a drink. And they're like, all right. So he goes by himself, which wasn't rare. The bartender there was like, yeah, he came in here you know, not all the time, but like, it wasn't a surprise to see him. You know, he's like, I'd seen him a few times. I knew who he was. He came in by himself a few times. Like he would just sit at the bar. He would talk to people. He's very friendly. So um, Matt gets to the fireside bar around eight or nine o'clock and he sat at the bar like he had done before. And the bartender obviously knew him because like I said, he would go there periodically and he was, you know, talking to people. He was socializing. Like I said, he was just a friendly guy. People knew him. Around 10 o'clock that night, two young men around Matt's age got there, and their names were Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. And they were sometimes employed as roofers. Sometimes they, like, just did whatever and, like, did drugs and stuff. And they ended up ordering a pitcher of beer and they paid for it with nickels and dimes. So obviously this was a time where they weren't, weren't really super employed. Yeah. And Russell was described as this quiet kid. 
um, he was actually kind of cute. Like I saw a picture of him and I was like, okay, he would have been somebody that I would have had a crush on probably, you know, at that point in my life, if, you know, a young 20 something. But then people also said he was like a follower. Like he was very, he wasn't somebody who was going to stand up to someone. And then Aaron uh, was this goofy looking dude that was like always in trouble with the law. I think it was the sheriff said, you know, he was a, he was a frequent customer. They knew who he was. He was just this charismatic guy and like he could get people to do what he wanted, which is obviously why Russell was hanging out with them because he knew that Russell would do what he said. Right. So that night was actually Walt's birthday, the guidance counselor. And Matt was supposed to go out with him and have dinner and drinks and just like, you know, have a birthday celebration. But he ended up canceling on Walt and Walt was kind of like, eh, whatever. My birthday wasn't a big deal to me anyway. But, you know, I was like, whatever. He ended up canceling and that was totally fine. Matt was, instead of going to dinner, he was at the fireside, which is the name of the bar. And he's sitting there ordering drinks. He has a couple of beers. He's socializing. Aaron and Russell walk in. Then they, a little a little into it, they'd been there for a little bit. They end up going to the bathroom together. And while they're in the bathroom, they're like, yo, let's pretend to be gay. Because that dude out there is gay. Let's pretend to be gay and let's rob him. Okay. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great plan. So they go up to Matt. They're super friendly with them. They're telling him that they're gay. And they're like, you know, hey, let's go somewhere else. Let's, like, go hang out somewhere. And Matt's like, okay, sure. So they end up getting him to leave with them. The bartender sees all three of them leave at the same time. And Matt was just super – he had gotten to the point where he was trusting people again. And like I said before, he was just really small and he was just like super vulnerable, just even just because of his size. He was very thin, very short. So they get into Aaron's truck and Russell is the one driving and they start driving for a little bit. They just kind of start driving out into the country, I guess, um, where there's nobody there. And Aaron's like, we're not gay and we're going to rob you. And so he hits him. He hits Matt and he's like, give me your wallet. And Matt's like, shoot, take it. Just take it. Like, I don't, whatever. It's not worth getting hit over, you know, take my wallet. So after he gets the wallet, Aaron starts hitting him even more. He's just beating the crap out of him. And he tells Russell, you know, go drive over to where there's still less people even. So they end up driving down this road and they get to this area where there's like a fence. And they're out in the middle of nowhere. They get out of the truck. Matt tried to get away. They were fighting with him. Matt tries to get away. And Aaron tells Russell, tie him to the fence. So Russell ties him to the fence. And Aaron beats him with a 357 Magnum revolver. He didn't shoot him. He just beaten the hell out of him with this gun. And he ends up hitting Matt 18 times in the face with his gun and the last time he hit him was kind of behind his ear where he hit him um, where his brain stem was and then it like hit him hard enough that it hit him on the neck but then also in the ear to where it almost completely ripped his ear off of his head oh my god I know and it crushed his skull he had a crushed skull from that oh and then um, Russell and Aaron get back in the truck and they leave him there. 
And like I said, it's October, it's freezing, it's cold, and they just leave him. So 18 hours later, this guy is riding his bike down the road. And he's riding just, you know, minding his own business. He ends up crashing his bike. And he gets up and he's like getting ready to get back on his bike. And he sees this scarecrow on the fence. And he's like, dang, that's a really scary dang scarecrow. Like he's thinking it's scary because it's almost Halloween. It's October. And he's like, wow, that's really lifelike. So he goes closer because he's like, I got to look at this thing. He realized that it wasn't a scarecrow. He's thinking, oh my gosh, there's a kid. He thinks it's like this 12-year-old kid because that's how small Matt was. He thought he was a 12-year-old. Wow. Yeah. So he's like, holy crap. So he gets on his bike because it's 1998, and he goes to the closest house, and he calls the police. So Officer Flutie is who responded to that. And she drives up as close as she can to where Matt is, but she has to get out of her car because she, like the brush or something, she can't get any closer. So she runs over to where Matt's tied up. And she she also thought that he was just this little 12-year-old boy because he is so little. She tried to open his airway, but it was just full of blood and stuff. And she just couldn't, she couldn't even get it open. But she says she remembered trying to revive him, and she says to him, quote, baby boy, I'm here, kiddo. You're going to be okay. Hang in there. Don't give up. Come on. You can do this. Holy crap. Let me just cut my own heart out right here. Ugh. So she's super distraught over this because he just looks like a child, and she sees that he's tied with his hands behind his back, and he's laying on his back. And his body was completely covered in blood. She said the only part that wasn't covered in blood were two streaks on his face where he had been crying. And the tears had been running down his face and just washed away the blood. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. And so she sits there and she's telling him, you know, you're not by yourself. I'm here. And she's, like, telling him that she's going to help him. So his parents... Here they get a phone call at 5 a.m. And his dad said that he just assumed that it was Matt because Matt called them super early in the morning all the time. So he just assumed it was them, him. But it wasn't Matt. It was the hospital. And the hospital was telling him that Matt was injured and they needed to come home now because they weren't sure he was going to make it. So his parents thought that he had been in a car wreck and they ended up getting the first flight home. And before they can get there, they're talking to Judy's sister and she tells Matt's parents that Matt's story was all over the internet and the TV. And they're like, why? It was a car accident. And she was like, no, it was not a car accident. And she finally tells them what happened and why he was in the hospital. So then they have to tell his little brother what happened. And they're like, he might not live. He might not be okay. His brother's still in high school at this point. So they get to the hospital, and the doctors tell them that the only thing keeping him alive is his brain stem, and it's basically just keeping him breathing because he's pretty much brain dead because he had been beat so badly. And Judy said that his face was so swollen and cut that they were like, are you sure that's our son? Like, that doesn't even look like – they couldn't even recognize him. Oh, my God. And the only – yeah. I know. And the only way that she could tell that it was him was because one of his eyes was partially open and he had these bright blue eyes. She's like, I knew those were his eyes. And then she saw that 
his braces. And he'd had braces since he was 13. And wow. he was like 20, 21 at this point, And he still had braces on. She's like, I knew that was him. And she said that there were cuts and scars on his face that she knew. She, you know, knew it was him because of that too. And other than that, she had no clue who he was. So the police were saying that it was a robbery gone wrong. And his friends and family were like, absolutely not. He's gay and he was targeted. You need to look into this. No, 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 no. Who freaking beat somebody to death over $20? He had $20 in his wallet. That's it. Yeah, you don't do that. Yeah, and his friends and family were like, if they had just asked him for the money, he would have given it to him. They didn't have to do that. So Walt called friends that he had in Fort Collins, Colorado, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and Casper, Wyoming, and he was like, you need to call the newspapers and you need to tell them what happened and that this was a hate crime. This was not a robbery gone wrong. They targeted him because he's gay. And this cannot be ignored. And it's not going to be shut down. We're not going to let them just quietly. Like, this is not okay. So the next day, Walt was woken up by his phone ringing. And it was the Washington Post. And they were, like, interviewing him. And he said that his phone didn't stop ringing for two weeks straight. Because it was just news outlets wanting to talk to him about this. And he was like, you know... Our town was small, but it was, he said, everybody, every news outlet was there. Every news channel was there. And he said, he, he goes, quote, well, Matt, you wanted to be famous. You're certainly famous now. Oh, my God. I know. So, obviously, Matt's in a coma. He's still alive at this point, but he's in a coma. And the police are searching for Aaron because the bartender was like, yo, this is who he left with. He mm-hmm. left with these people. You need to find them. And so the police are searching for Aaron and Russell. And Aaron was hiding out at his girlfriend's house. And Russell was at his girlfriend's house. And they actually told their girlfriends what they had done. They were like, yeah, we beat this kid up. Pretty sure he's dead. And the girlfriends were like, are you sure? And like, oh, yeah, he's dead. They didn't even, they thought he was dead before he even died. So the police find them and they arrested, they arrested Russell and Aaron, and then they arrested the two girlfriends because the girlfriends were hiding them out and they helped them get rid of all the clothes that they had had on and everything. So, like, they got rid of evidence. Are you – why would you do that? If my freaking boyfriend or husband was like, yo, I just killed somebody, help me find this, I'm like, yeah, hold on, let me go to the bathroom real quick. And then I call the police to be like, come get this fool out of my house. There yeah. is no way. Mm-mm. No. Sorry, I'm a okay. snitch. Okay, bye. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, you can count me out with that one. Yeah. Um oh. so I just get stitches, but I'm okay with that. So <laughs> they read them their Miranda rights and Matt confessed right away. And he said that not Matt, I'm sorry, Aaron confessed I was right like, away. Wait, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he had said that Matt was telling him, please stop, please don't do this, please stop. And he like wouldn't and the officer was like well he asked you to stop and he's like well yeah he was getting the shit beat out of him of course he asked me to stop just the way he was talking about it yeah i did it it's fine and he was just calling him horrible names i don't even want to say the name but homophobic names you know yeah so 
while Matt's in the hospital, his dad, obviously completely upset, he's torn up. So he gets in his truck and he drives four hours to Casper to their storage unit because he's like, if I can find something of Matt's that will help him remember who he is, remember, you know, his life, maybe he'll get better. And he's looking for the stuffed bunny that Matt had as a kid and he couldn't find it. He goes back and the doctor told him, you know, you can't go into this room with anxiety because he's going to feel that. Like you've got to go in feeling positive. So Matt's hanging on and five days later, it's October 12th and the doctors tell him, Hey, there's really nothing there. Yeah. There's really nothing going on. He's they're like, he's either going to die on his own or we're going to have to pull the plug because that's your choice. But there, there's nothing that we can do to help him at this point. So his parents are like, we cannot make that choice. Like we cannot do that. That's our child. And his mom ends up asking Walt to go in there and talk to Matt. And she's like, you got to, can you just talk to him, tell him, you know, that he needs to be the one to make the choice. So Matt goes in there and he tells him, Matt, you know, you can stop fighting. You've got to stop fighting. It's okay. It's okay to let go. It's okay to not feel pain anymore. We're not going to forget you. You're not going to be forgotten and something good's going to come out of this. It's, gonna, it's okay if you let go. So he ends up saying his goodbyes to him. And he goes home. And that night at midnight, Matt died. He just, he ended up dying on his own. He said this was Walt that went in there and talked to him? Yeah, his guidance counselor. So the hospital spokesperson um, announced Matt's death to the press. And while he's out there announcing it, he starts crying. And he said, quote, Matt's mother asked me to tell everyone who's listening to go home and give your kids a hug. And don't let a day go by that you don't tell them you love them. I just can't even imagine that. I know. So after after Matt dies, ever people were enraged. People were so upset. There were marches for Matt. There were marches, not just for Matt, but there were marches about, you know, hate crimes and protests and celebrities were talking about it. And President Clinton gave a speech about it. And it was just like this big thing, like the whole nation was angry about what had happened to him and of course while they're at the funeral they're trying to have this celebration of life for matt and the freaking westboro baptist church shows up you know who they are no so they're they're this quote church who go they they're the ones that protest at like soldiers funerals and stuff i had no idea people did that Oh yeah, like they ha- they hold up signs that say God hates dead soldiers and um they were holding signs up at Matt's funeral saying God hates FAGS and you know burn in hell oh and God. yeah, just like they're like screaming at his family and everything and like people what's wrong they, with people? I don't know. I don't know how they can call themselves a church honestly. They're from Kansas. I lived in Kansas and they're from there. And I'm pretty sure it was Kansas is that where they were from. But, like, they had threatened to, like, show up at something that I was doing. I, want to, I don't remember what it was, but, like, they were just these horrible crap excuses for humans. Because, like, they're, they claim to be this church, but all they spew is hate. And they're yeah. just, like, these terrible people and just awful. And so 
the day of the funeral, the press wanted Dennis to do, you know, like a press conference. And he ended up having to wear a bulletproof vest to be able to speak about his son because of these freaking people. Oh my gosh. And he was just asking everyone to just be peaceful and be kind, you know, just like, let us have this funeral with, and hundreds of people ended up showing up for Matt's funeral. It was, there were so many people there. Matt ended up dying 50 days before his 22nd birthday. So Aaron, the one who ended up, who was the one that beat him, he was 23 years old, 23 years old, and he's beat somebody to death over nothing. And he was just like such a freaking turd because he was going into court winking at people and acting all cocky and crap. No. And just like, I want to punch, he has these ears that stick out and I just want to like rip his freaking ears off and punch him in the face. Oh, he deserves it. Yeah, what a turd. Anyways, so Russell ended up pleading guilty and he got life in prison and Aaron was trying to justify what he had done because he was like, oh, well, you know, he tried to feel me up and he tried to make a move on me and I just lost it. And it's like, really? Because you were pretending you were gay. Like, you knew he was gay. You pretended you were. And then you're like, just kidding. We're here to rob you. I doubt he would have been in the mood to feel you up. Right. The judge was like, yeah, that's not going to fly. You can't use the gay panic defense. Have you heard of what that is? No. So gay panic defense is basically somebody who just, like, flips out because they were so triggered by a gay person that they kill him. Or whatever. Or beat him up. It's like, really? Are you that like are you that kind of person? Uh Wow. And so it's just so, a justification. Exactly. It's a justification for being a shit person. So Aaron goes, Well, being a very drunk homophobic, I flipped out and began to pistol whip the FAG with my gun. I hate that word. I don't want to say it. He even admits to being homophobic. Yeah. So he says that he flipped out because he was assaulted as a child by a kid in his, he was sexually assaulted as a child by a kid in his neighborhood, which I don't know if he was or not, but it's like, okay, so many people were. Matt was assaulted by six men at one time, but he didn't end up killing anybody. Yeah. It, mm. Aaron was found not guilty of first degree murder, but he was found guilty of felony murder. So first degree would be he planned it and he went there just to kill a Matt. But they did convict him on felony murder, which was, you know, you purposefully murdered somebody. It wasn't an accident. It was, a, you did it on purpose, but you didn't plan it. And Aaron was the one who was, like, really controlling, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In court, Matt's dad gave this really, really powerful victim impact statement. And I just want to read part of it because it's just, like, you just tell how much he loved his son. Are you hungry? Yeah, did you hear my stomach? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I ate, I don't know, I guess, I, I don't know. I'm, at, I'm hungry, too. Okay, so his dad said, On October 12th, my firstborn son of my hero died 50 days before his 22nd birthday. He died quietly, surrounded by family and friends, with his mother and brother holding his hand. All that I have left now are the memories. It's hard to put into words how much Matt meant to his family and friends and how much they meant to him. 
Everyone wanted him to succeed because he tried so hard. The spark that he provided to people had to be experienced. He simply made everyone feel better about themselves. Family and friends were his focus. He knew that he, had al he always had their support for anything he wanted to try. The hope of a better world free of harassment and discrimination because a person was different kept him motivated. All his life he felt the stabs of discrimination. Because of that, he was sensitive to other people's feelings. He was naive to the extent that regardless of the wrongs people did to him, he still had the faith that they would change and become nice. Matt trusted people perhaps too much. Violence was not a part of his life until his senior year in high school. I loved my son, and as can be seen throughout his, this statement, was proud of him. He was not my gay son. He was my son who happened to be gay. He was a good-looking, intelligent, caring person. There were the usual arguments, and at the times, he was a real pain in the butt. I felt the regrets of a father when he realizes that his son is not a star athlete, but it was replaced with greater pride when I saw him on the stage. To this day, I've never figured out how he was able to spend all those hours at the theater during the school year and still have good grades. Matt officially died at 12.53 a.m. on Monday, October 12, 1998, in a hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. He actually died on the outskirts of Laramie, tied to a fence that Wednesday before when you beat him. You, Mr. McKinney, with your friend Mr. Henderson, killed my son. By the end of the beating, his body was just trying to survive. You left him out there by himself, but he wasn't alone. Oh my gosh, this car's going to make me cry again. <laughs> there were his lifelong friends with him, friends that he had grown up with. You were probably wondering who these friends were. First, he had the beautiful night sky with the same stars and moon that we used to look at through a telescope. Then he had the daylight and the sun to shine on him one more time. One more cool, wonderful autumn day in Wyoming. His last day alive in Wyoming. His last day alive in the state he always proudly called home. And through it all, he was breathing in for the last time the smell of Wyoming sagebrush and the scent of pine trees from the snowy range. He heard the wind, the ever-present Wyoming wind, for the last time. He had one more friend with him, one he grew to knew through his time in Sunday school and as an acolyte in St. Mark's and Casper, as well as through his visits to St. Matthew's and Laramie. He had God. I feel better knowing he wasn't alone. Oh my gosh, it's gonna make me cry. I know. So when Officer Flutie said that she showed up to find Matt there, she said that there was a doe sitting in the bushes next to him. And that when she walked up to him, the doe didn't move. And she, she was like really close to it. And the doe didn't move until she saw that the officer was like holding him and trying to see if he was okay. And then the doe stood up and just quietly walked away. She had been there all night with him, not wanting to leave him alone. And then she realized that somebody was there to help him. And then she decided it was okay to go. Oh, my gosh. That freaking broke my heart. Mm, that gives me chills. I know. I know. I wonder if Matt knew she was there. So after all this and after, you know, these two pieces of crap went to jail, um, Matt's parents started the Matthew Shepard Foundation. And the Matthew Shepard Foundation says that its mission is to amplify the story of Matthew Shepard to inspire individuals, organizations, and communities to embrace the dignity and equality of all people. Our work is an extension of Matt's passion to foster a more caring and just world. We share his story and embody his vigor for civil rights to change the hearts and minds of others to accept everyone as they are. 
So they do like speaking things, like they go and speak to people about quality and stuff like that. So his parents are now able to do what Matt wanted to do, and they're trying to make a difference and, you know, live his dream for him. And in 2009, President Obama signed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crime Prevention Act, which extended hate crimes to include gender, disability, gender identity, or sexual orientation. And I don't know if you know who James Byrd Jr. is, but he was the black man. He was murdered by white supremacists. They they actually, it was awful. Oh my gosh, it was awful. They tied him to the back, they tied him up and drug him behind their truck for miles and miles and miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was awful. His murderer was actually executed like he got the death penalty and was executed it was so horrific that might be something we cover as well because it's just awful and it's also very important to talk about as well this act that that president obama signed was to you know to include hate crimes for like i said gender disability gender identity and sexual orientation but yeah, that same year that Matt was murdered, James Bird was murdered as well in Texas. I want to say that, you know, the world has gotten better about these types of things because, you know, I don't feel any hatred towards people because of their color or, you know, their sexual orientation or anything like that. Like, I don't feel any kind of prejudice towards people for anything like that. You know what I mean? Like that, it just blows my mind that people actually think that way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it's like they didn't choose to be born purple or green or whatever. Like, that's just how they came out. They didn't choose to be who they were born as. So why are you hating them for that? Like, what is the point of having so much hate in your heart? Right. What does that do for you? I just don't know what that accomplishes. I don't either. I just feel like now – we should be way beyond that crap as a society. It's 2020. We've all been stuck in our houses for six months. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> right. Well, and who made you better than them? Exactly. I don't know. I just, I think what Matt's parents are doing is just really great. And I hate that they've had to go through this terrible, senseless thing for no freaking reason. I mean, their son was kind and gentle and thoughtful and like somebody that I would want to hang out with somebody that I would have loved to have known I would have loved to have had a friend like him in high school someone we need more of in this world (laughs) exactly somebody who's trying to make a difference and trying to be good and you know people you know crappy people like them like freaking Aaron and stupid Russell take them out of the world for no reason. It's just, it's just, I hate it. I hate it so much. And I hope that they are miserable people. I mean, obviously they're miserable people because they ended up, they killed somebody for no reason, but. And why do I feel like these things that happen, it always happens to parents who are the most like genuine understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how I would be or react in a situation like that but I know how I would react and it would not be good (laughs) yeah and I mean not to say they didn't have times where they were angry I'm sure oh yeah 
it, it just makes me so mad when it's stuff like this where it's like, what was the point? What was the point? What did that accomplish for you? Right. Why, why did you have to? And it's like, you know, you've, you've taken this wonderful person away from so many people who he had this great impact on. And, you know, he was finally at this point in his life where he was like, I'm going to be okay. Like he was going to be okay. Mm. And, you know, he had told Walt a few weeks before he was murdered that he finally felt safe. And the only reason that um, Russell ended up not getting the death penalty as well was because Aaron insisted, hey, Russell didn't hit him at all. He didn't touch him. I was the only one that hit him. He just tied him, he tied him to the fence and he was laughing while I was beating him to death. So freaking Russell sat there and laughed while Matt was being beat to death. And I read an interview that, or not, I read an article that Russell had said recently, like within the last year or two, that, you know, he was sorry and he was a completely different person now and he was hoping to get parole. And I'm like, I'm not sure if he deserved that. Because, yeah, okay, maybe if you were like 15 or 16, your frontal lobe is not completely developed, but you were a grown man. You yeah. were like 20-something years old. You knew what you were doing. You were laughing about it. I don't feel bad for you. You don't deserve to come out. No. And why all of a sudden now you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a changed man. Like, Yeah. I mean, I guess in his – I, def- his, I, I don't want to say defense, but to his credit, he did plead guilty. You know, he admitted – but then, of course – Aaron admitted what he did too. As soon as he was sat down in the interview room and read his rights, he was like, yep, did it. Sure did. Beat him to death with my gun. So I don't know. But they're just pieces of crap. Mm. You've got to have, and I'm not trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because I don't think this is an excuse, but you've got to have some mental and maybe not mental issues like you were not right in the head, but something. I, I just don't – I can't figure out what makes people like that. Well, I know Russell came from a dysfunctional home. His dad left. He was kind of like passed back and forth between his mom and his grandparents. And actually, interesting fact, his mom, um, a few months after he was – arrested and put in jail for this his mom was found frozen to death on the side of a highway and just like in the in the past year they found out that a man that was arrested for like raping a 12 year old in some other state had abducted his mom raped her and then kicked her out of his truck and left her for dead and she froze to death oh my gosh yeah like right after russell had been arrested for this that is wild but that is the story of matt shepherd and um i felt like that needed to be told again i don't know if anybody's heard it before hopefully you have and if you haven't you should look into the matt shepherd foundation and read about them because it's a it's a really great thing and um, i actually watched the documentary matt shepherd is a matthew shepherd is a friend of mine and it was done by one of the girls that was one of his best friends in boarding school. It was really good. 
I got a lot of my information from that. It's a really good documentary. There's also another one on YouTube. I think it, I want, I don't think it's documentary. I think it's a movie and I started watching that, but then I was like, I want to watch documentary, I think. <laughs> so yeah. Matthew Shepard is a friend of mine. It's a good one that I got that on Am- That was on Amazon prime. And then there's one on YouTube. I think it's called the, the story of Matthew Shepard or something like that, but I can link them in the notes. So did they say anything else about his friend Nikki that he wrote the letter to? Well, she was on this documentary. She was actually the one that was reading the letters out loud that he had written her and she was just like sobbing. Oh. Yeah, it was it was just heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. When does the documentary made? Do you know? Pretty recent. Let me check real quick. It was made in 2013. Okay. So it's not that long. No, it wasn't that long. It was really, really good. I'm going to watch that now. Yeah. And then the one on YouTube is called The Matthew Shepard Story. And I didn't watch that because I wanted to watch the documentary. So the documentary is on Amazon Prime? Yeah. Now I see why you said this week was heavy. It was really heavy. I had to actually take a break last night because I was, um, you know, still like watching and still writing and still researching and stuff. And I was like, I got to take a break. I can't finish this tonight because it was just, it was hurting my little heart. My little black heart was in pain. (laughs) (laughs) It just hurt. It just was so sad. I just couldn't finish that. I was like, I can't. I got to, I got to, I don't know, pet my puppy or something. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, that's emotionally exhausting and yeah, hard. And it's good to talk about. It is something that needs to be talked about, though, because I think you get so caught up. Like, well, I don't think that way. I would never do something like that. That you forget that things like that actually do happen, and there are people yeah. out there who are hateful that do stuff like that. It's still happening. Yeah, I just can't even wrap my head around people like that. I just really cannot. I mean, I think it, I I feel like maybe moving so much and like being around so many different types of people that kind of helped me, you know, Mm -hmm. like I grew up around a lot of types of people, you know, I was, I moved a lot and I don't know, it just never, never felt that way about people. I just can't believe people still think that way. It's 2020, you know, we've got a freaking tesla car up in space but you know we're still hating people because their skin's brown right are they like boys because and they're a boy like i don't i don't get it i don't get it i don't either i just pray every day that i raise my kids to be better than that yeah better than max (sighs) max comes home every day talking about this little boy in her class who um you know he has a hard time listening he he doesn't listen to the teacher. He tripped her today and whatever. And I just, I'm like, Max, you know, I know that, I know that it's hard to be nice sometimes. I said, but we don't know what he has to deal with every day. We don't know what his life is like. I said, so the most important thing you can do is to be kind to him no matter what. I said, that doesn't mean you have to let him be mean to you. I said, but you don't ever make fun of him ever, ever. Mm-hmm. I said, that would be the worst thing you can do. Cause this is kindergarten. 
And this kid is right. having such problems. And Max, like, she notices things. You know, it was like the first week of school. I think it was like the third day of school. And she was like, oh, guess what? So, like, they have, like, a chart where they have little pa- clothespins that have their name on them with, like, you know, red, yellow, green, and then purple's like, oh, you've gone above and beyond type thing. And everybody starts on green. <laughs> and she came home the third day of school and she was like, everybody was on green today except for so-and-so because he did this and this. And so the teacher moved him down to red or yellow or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, it's the third day of school. They're in kindergarten. You're already singling this kid out. Like that really bothered me because when I was in, when I was in kindergarten, we had the same type of chart. And my mm-hmm. bear, my bear got moved to yellow one time because this kid was talking to me and I said something back to them and I was very goody goody, like, you know, follow the rules. And my teacher moved my bear down to yellow. And I still remember this and this was kindergarten and I was just like crushed and I was so embarrassed and like, it was the worst thing. Why are you doing this? This is kindergarten. Like, Oh, I don't know. And I'm not a teacher. I don't know everything, obviously, but it's just, I don't know. I'm just like, Max, just please, please be nice to him. Please be nice. Yeah. No. No. Oh, yeah, the same thing. We had clouds that were in the sky, and if you were bad, your cloud got taken off the sky. Oh, no. It was so sad, and I remember one time, same type of issue. Like, I think I had been talking or something surprise <laughs> and uh, my cloud my cloud got taken off the sky and I was distraught like I just cried I went home and cried to my mom because my yeah. cloud got taken off the sky and I could not believe it mm-hmm. and so yeah I don't know sometimes I'm like okay are those things really necessary I feel like it does more harm than good <laughs> then she c- comes home and tells me oh I got moved to purple today which I'm like oh my gosh that's great she's like yeah everybody in the class got moved to purple except so-and-so the same kid I'm just like yeah that's my story for tonight and thanks for hanging in with me so thanks for hanging with us tonight guys welcome to the world little murder not gonna say murder baby um (laughs) yeah little little new baby baby. um uh yeah don't forget to like us on instagram and facebook and email us and all that good stuff let us know what you think. Grab a box of tissues for this week. I guess you won't hear that until the end, though, so that doesn't help anything. And, oh, our Instagram page is called at Murder They Spoke. Yes. Right? And then our Facebook is also Murder They Spoke, and our email is MurderTheySpokePod at gmail.com. And, yeah, share. Share and like and comment and rate and review and all that good stuff yep let us know what you want to hear yep and we're thankful for all of our listeners all five of them (laughs) hey there's at least six okay (laughs) at least six we'll get there we'll get there (laughs) anyways oh awesome don't forget murder does not discriminate that's true in this case it did oh i guess that's true yeah, it did. Maybe we should stop saying that. <laughs> It'll get you. Murder's going to get you. Yep. It doesn't care who you are. <laughs> Not funny, though. No. But anyway, thanks, guys, yeah. for listening. We yeah. will we'll talk to you next week. All right. And adios. <laughs>